It is exceedingly exciting to have you joining us today on the ICB News Channel. And I um, am, well, I am Rob Marshall, but uh, I am also exceedingly excited to bring in the ICB Executive Director, Matthew Addison, to join us today on the podcast. Greetings, Matthew. Uh, thanks, Rob, and uh, exceedingly excited are two words I haven't had put together uh, in an introduction or or generally for some time. So uh, it's good that you're up and about and uh, exceedingly excited, Rob. I am, and uh, we've been exceedingly excited about uh, a recent event that we've just come off, um, the ICB um, Annual Bookkeepers Summit, being well, being something that uh, we haven't done for quite a while, uh, thanks to a, a pandemic, uh, to get around Australia and to, to meet with bookkeepers and members and to, to celebrate the fact that, well, first of all, that we could be back together again face-to-face, but secondly, to, to put a real lens on where is bookkeeping in Australia in 2023 and where is it about to go beyond that? Uh, very much the the topic of what we've we've been talking about around Australia. So I'm interested, Matthew, your thoughts, your reflections, maybe some highlights of of what's been a busy month, um, the month of March as we started in Hobart and wound our way around Australia, finishing in Melbourne uh, a few weeks ago. So how did you how did you find it? Rob, look, it was very interesting for me. Uh, it was very interesting to act with, uh, interact with so many of our members where, you know, between the team, you know, yourself, Pauline, Amanda and I had discussions with members at Summit about what we're feeling for the community and what we're feeling for small business. So it was just great for us to be able to go, guys, this is what we see happening. This is what we see happening in technology. This is what we see happening to business. This is what government is doing to us. This is what the tax office are thinking about. And sharing that with the members and then interacting about how that's hitting bookkeepers in your day work, in your interactions with businesses. Um, Overall, I, I think we had really positive discussions, Rob. I think it was a reality position. This is where we are. This is what we control. We can really control our reaction to circumstances. And that was a lot, as you know, Rob, was my my first one is we think about business and bookkeeping beyond 2023. What do we control? What's our scope of engagement with businesses? What's our common understanding about what we're responsible for and what they're responsible for. Where's the line and what should we stress about? And that, um, based on the feedback, the early feedback we've got, Rob, um, those discussions have been really helpful. So, I look, I think it was a really good time. I'm glad we generate, um, invested the time and, and the effort and I was really appreciative, Rob, as I know you were, that the members invested their time and money to, to join with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to make that point. It's a really good point that in a busy world, in a in a time where everybody could say, well, I don't have time, people made time and it was really important that they did. So we tackled, we, 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 were, we were pretty confrontational in, at points. We tackled some hard topics. We looked at um, uh, the rise and rise of artificial intelligence. We... Uh, we checked in on on uh, you know where we are post pandemic and the, and the struggles that businesses are experiencing right now with financial um, difficulties. I guess you could say we we also looked at the bookkeeping world from the point of view of the growth of bookkeeping and mentoring and how to how to deal with um, the new bookkeeper coming into our space in twenty twenty three and beyond. So we 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 tackled the relevant, I believe, and I think that was well appreciated. For those who weren't able to make it along, for those who weren't able to be there, um, you know, there's opportunities for us, for you to still engage with us through the, the, the 12 months ahead before perhaps our next uh, event. We won't go there on that conversation, but uh, certainly we will continue to roll out that theme through technical webinars and our ICB Fridays, as we call them now, and also through our podcast. So you can still stay engaged and, and be aware of, of the conversations that have already commenced that Matthew mentioned. 
But Matthew, you've uh, you've you've raised your finger there. Uh, people can't see uh, in, on a podcast when you when you raise your finger to make a point, but I can. So uh, back to you. Yeah, Rob. I just wanted to pick up on that AI one that you raised because there, even as we record this, and since summer, there's um, some social media stuff out there. There's some digital media out there. Um, speaking to the accounting sector and. Some of it's gone, accountants, 18% of your job is going to be replaced by chat GPT. And what we were able to discuss, Rob, and your session just uh, really hit the mark is here it is, but you know what, guys? We've been doing this stuff for a long time. We as a professional bookkeeping community, we use the best tech. We use machine learning. We use what is labelled artificial intelligence we build it into us doing our bookkeeping the best, most effective, contemporary way. ChatGPT is going to add to it. Yeah, it's not going to take. It's not stealing eighteen percent of your time away. So I just wanted to cover that and go. Yeah, I, I think we presented that well. I just wanted to reassure the listeners here that your job's not going anywhere Spot as on. AI develops. We've got better techniques your value is going to be appreciated more. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, we, th- th- this space will continue to evolve and um, and we evolve with it as we have done, as you've referenced, since for, for some of us, since the 1980s, which oh, seems such a long time ago now, but... Uh, We've been evolving with it, and that's the, the one of the one of the attributes of a bookkeeper is the ability to say, "Well, here it is. Now, how am I going to harness it, and in what way will I do that, and in the timeliness that works best for me to do that?" So, really good points there. We aren't here to just talk about things past. We're about to talk about things current and future, um, as we did, of course, throughout the summit, but. Um, we want to re- refer to our um, ICB website, icb.org.au, and the news items that uh, are regularly, very regularly popping up there that we encourage all our members and non-members to, to be engaged with, those listening in who perhaps still haven't uh, uh, chosen to go down the route of becoming a member of the ICB. We, get, we recommend you still check out icb.org.au on a daily basis. However, we do also have our flagship, which is our newsletter, and um, on page 13 of the member newsletter and also available via our website um, is an interesting article, Matthew, that sort of has been hovering around for a long time now, a conversation. We did briefly reference it in the last episode of um, the ICB News Channel, and that is the conversation of employee versus contractor. There's been a little bit of activity in the courts of recent times to to heighten the the need for the ATO to to bring out some draft rulings around the definitions of employee versus contractor. Why has this suddenly come to the fore again? Is it just regarding these um, um, high court rulings? I don't know if it was even in the high court, in the court rulings, or uh, is this something we constantly need to be having a lens on as a bookkeeper? Rob, look, the employee versus contractor debate has existed forever and the ATO had their guidance and views. They had the employee versus contractor tool, which a lot of us have used and worked with fundamentally that tool was flawed. So um, I'm quite happy that the tool's not there anymore because Mm. it did generate incorrect results. Mm. But what has happened over 2022 is two court cases actually really challenged the way that the previous law was being interpreted. And those two court cases have come down where the judges have said what is actually written in the contract is incredibly important. In fact, what is written in the contract is determinative of the type of relationship. Previously, the guidelines had gone, what's the behaviour? Let's go into the tool and say what what behaviour is actually going on. Well, now we've got a real turning around and the law now says what's written in the contract. If we have a brawl, If you have a brawl with the tax office, you have a brawl about super, what's written in the contract about the type of relationship? That is what the ATO has to rely on and that's what the courts will rely on. So there's been a little bit of a a real tweaking. 
We've always talked about the six tests, Rob, mm-hmm. you know, integration, control, delegation, um, uh, um, uniform risk. Um, the six tests still underlie yep. the, the interpretation. Yep. But there's been a real shift there. So the resource that has been updated on our website, that gives you the indication of where to go here. Yep. As bookkeepers, the take is, is it your discussion with the business owner? You need to have that discussion. You need to ask questions. Yes. And then you work out with the business owner whether you're getting involved in helping them make the decision about, hey, is this person really an employee or a contractor? What's the impact? Should you be taking POIGW out? Should you be paying super? Um, where does it fit in terms of some of your other insurances? So, but ultimately, have the discussion with your business owner. Do you need to be involved in that decision-making process or are they going to do it and tell you what the decision is? I think one of the ones that um, I know when I've had to tackle this as a, a bookkeeper assisting a business owner dealing with somebody who is borderline um, employee or uh, contractor is the is the term producing a result or outcome can you maybe give us a little bit of backstory behind what is what what does the ATO mean when they talk about producing a result or an outcome so it's that that wonderful one Rob remembering this debate really came out of the, the construction industry yes about when when an individual turns up, are they effectively a labourer? Are they just selling their time and really what they do is directed by the boss? And it's not an outcome, but it's the provision of a service. Yes. Um, And that's not an outcome, whereas as a bookkeeper, one could argue you're just selling time. Well, no, you're not. What you're actually selling is your expertise, your skill, your training to deliver a determined set of outcomes, be that verification of the books and records make sense, verification the books and records exist, Um, verification that the anomalies have been found, detected and fixed up. That's an outcome. That's not just provision of time. So that's where that, that debate goes into. And I think that's one that, yeah, like you say, probably is is more specific to some industries than others, but still yep. becomes part of the conversation when determining this whole, are they an employee or are they a contractor? So we don't want to get too stuck in the weeds of this. Um, people can um, who are tuning in can go to our website or look on uh, page 13 as members of our member newsletter um, and have a good read through some other context around this. But just finally, I guess one of the things that I've seen come up time and time again is, I, and I'm going to sort of simplify this, is why does the bookkeeper need to care about this or wh- where is it? Is there some lines in the sand with this for bookkeepers? Uh, that word scope keeps sort of jumping into my head when we talk this conversation. What, what's your views on that? As bookkeepers for so many small businesses, we're relied on for payroll. We're relied on for some of those areas of compliance that the business owner typically is going, hey, I'm a really good electrician. I'm a really good store owner. I rely on you to get my payroll right. I rely on you to keep my relationships right. So then it's that scoping question or, sorry, that, discussion with the business, hey, you've got some things to think about, about whether the people you're working with are employees or contractors. Here's the questions. Do you want me to do some more thinking on your behalf, business owner, or are you going to tell me what the answers are? So we do care because we're involved in it, Rob. Yep. And then it's determining with the business how much we have to do work to come up with the solution. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, like I say, I, I think we could get really, really deep on this and we're going to you know, encourage people to go and do some their own reading on this one as well. Um, but I think you've, got, you've covered it beautifully and um, certainly gives uh, a lot of context around why this has appeared again on the horizon, I suppose you could say but also 
that that line in the sand, that point where a bookkeeper needs to understand where they're assisting their uh, client in this and and where that where that needs to land. But I want to move on to another topic that we have covered of recent times in our newsletter and also on our website. And uh, I'm referring to if those people who do join us on the ICB News Channel get their newsletter out and try to follow along with some of what we're doing. We're on looking at page nine of our March um, ICB newsletter, and that is the conversation around when penalties don't apply. Now, in a in a funny sort of um, form of coincidence, uh, I've had a number of calls regarding this of recent times on our support lines. Um, so we're referring to what the, I think, and you can correct me on this, Matthew, the ATO refer to their as, refer to as their safe harbour exceptions. But I'm going to uh, close my mouth right now and let you pick up from there. Yeah, Rob, um, you know, our community lives and breathes inside uh, whether interest has been charged to our businesses or whether penalties are applied. Um, now, I shouldn't have talked about interest because that's a that's not what Safe Harbour is about, no. but it's about the penalties. It's yes. the penalties for late lodgement or the penalties for a false or misleading statement. And sometimes those late lodgement penalties, on a daily basis, we can apply for them to be remitted and, you know, nine times out of ten, they'll do it over the phone and they'll they'll remove the penalty. The tenth time out of ten, they might want to think about it or argue about it a bit. But the ATO <laughs> typically are very generous the reason I use the word generous, but what they're actually doing is applying these safe harbour provisions is what it's termed in the law and the principles. And safe harbour says where it's um, where the penalty is applied due to an action of the agent, yes. then the taxpayer should not be penalised. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean the agent will cop the penalty. Mm-hmm. But what it says is ATO systems will go, that form was lodged late, a penalty applies, we'll apply it. Then we make contact with the ATO and go, oh, look, please remove it or remove it because I as an agent was so overwhelmed with work, I was two weeks late, I had all the information, the client had given it to me, it was my fault. Yep. That safe harbour claim. Yep. So that's where the ATO go, yep, that's easy. Yep. So in practice, Rob, this is applied all the time but in reality, we don't know it. We don't know that's the bit of law we're applying. And our newsletter goes into the detail of exactly what's going on. It goes on into you can actually advise the ATO you want to claim the safe harbour provisions yes. and why. Yep. But really important, Rob, that article actually ta- takes us into what impact does that have for the agent, right? So if I'm a BAS agent, I've had a late payment applied to the client, I apply for it to go away, does the TPB get told? Well, again, I'm going to go 99 times out of 100, no, they don't. Yeah. You as an agent, we're applying this all the time, that's a different issue. If it's a penalty for a false or misleading statement, so you've lodged a BAS, there is something substantially incorrect in that BAS, Um. Is that a mistake of the client or is it a mistake because the agent didn't do something properly? So we might even make a mistake, Rob, as an agent. We've interpreted something wrong. We've claimed GST back when we shouldn't have. We've lodged it, they got a refund, then the ATO finds it. When the ATO finds it, typically they'll lodge a penalty, apply a penalty. The agent can go, hang on, it wasn't their fault. They actually gave me the right information I should have not claimed the GST, but mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Safe harbour means that penalty should be removed off the taxpayer. The question then becomes, well, is that a competence question mm-hmm. over what the agent did? Not just a mistake, but hang on, you really did not take reasonable care to check the client's circumstances. You didn't take reasonable care to apply the tax law properly. We think you've got a competence problem we're going to refer you to the TPB. And that's a different discussion about what the actions the TPB might take. So we, we get a lot of um, business owners tuning in to our ICB news channel these days, Matthew. So from, from a business owner's perspective, you know, in our world, the client, um, if a business owner was to get the dreaded letter from uh, um, the ATO 
uh, calling out the fact that a, a Baz was lodged late, maybe, uh, and they're un, been un, unaware of that. The agent has lodged late for various reasons. What would you What would you uh, suggest to a business owner? Obviously, contact the the Baz agent to have that conversation around them accessing safe harbour potentially. Is that how how you see this unfolding in a situation such as that? Uh, look, it's definitely worth the conversation, Rob, and that that is the first point of call is business, have, have a chat to your agent. Um, we as professional bookkeepers typically pick that up and um, uh, to have a chat to the ATR when it goes away. In today's world, Rob, and over the past couple of years, that has been hopefully the experience that I'm told about is that's been a, a relatively quick and simple process. Yep. The ATR are going to tighten up on some of these things. Mm-hmm. So my call out also to the businesses is be really realistic. The deadlines exist. You have to work with your advisors in advance, well in advance of the deadline. Yeah. No point giving your information to the bookkeeper one day before, two days before a deadline because it's not a minute's work. It's not push a button. There's, there's verification and certification work. So we've got to have a working relationship here between the business and the bookkeeper, whether it's an employee or whether it's an external. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Rob. Yeah. <coughs> Even if it's an external agent, we've got to have a working relationship to work towards meeting all your obligations on time. Yeah, no, that's a really good call, and um, I, and I know I've you know I've been. Uh, caught out myself as an agent over a long journey now. It's been uh, 23 years since we sort of went into the the world of of, of Bass, I suppose. Uh, I haven't been a Bass agent that long, but um, the world of Bass has been around for 23 years now coming up. And for, as a business owner, it can be stressful when you get that letter from the ATO. Um, so that's a good call out that in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, uh, referring it back to the BAS agent, we'll see remediation of, of that particular um, uh, penalty, perhaps, if you want to call it that. All right, we we uh, we could talk about these sort of things for hours and hours because there's lots lots of things to unpack, but that's why we uh, also refer to our website and to our newsletter for people to get more backstory and more, more context, I, sup- I suppose. I want to finish off with one more item that... Uh, we covered off in our uh, March edition of the ICB newsletter, and that is in relation, again, pr- predominantly probably focused on agents, and that is agent deferral. Now, you, for those who attended our summit around Australia, Matthew did uh, reveal some things about this. Our article in the newsletter calls out some dates in late April, potentially for some some action. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, what are we talking about when we talk agent deferral? Um, Matthew. Yeah, Rob, uh, as we all know, applying for a deferral of a deadline um, is a process. It's currently a very dated process <laughs> and the ATO have been working on a new system. Mm. Um, I, even this morning, Rob, I've received an update from the ATO that they're about to go live with their public announcements about this new system. Mm-hmm. It's far better for us. Uh, for those of you that are BAS agents, um far better system, simplified system to apply, know how and where to apply and get a response to your application. Mm. So um, have a look at our newsletter. Uh, we'll do a little bit more of it now that it's gone public, but the ATO will probably get to you as well. I have had some bang my heads on the table moment when it comes to deferral and trying to use spreadsheets that Clearly, I've only recently found out you have to use the Windows 3.1 version of the spreadsheet to get it to actually work. Uh, kind of explained why I couldn't get it to work, but uh, certainly looking forward to some movement forward with that. And uh, I know from a little bit of extra information you've provided through the summit series, through our ICB annual uh, bookkeeper summit, uh, plenty to look forward to there that will hopefully stop some head-banging moments, Matthew. So I think that's where we'll draw... Um, our part of today uh, to a close. We've got some more exciting, exceedingly exciting uh, information to share still in this episode. So don't go away if you're tuning in. Now I'm going to be joined very shortly by the ICB news um, letter editor, Simone 
Simone Emmett, and uh, we've got uh, some some really good um, information to share around what's happening in the bookkeeping world right now. But for the moment, um, I have been exceedingly excited about this uh, part of our journey today on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Matthew Addison. Uh, thanks, Rob. I'm not as exceedingly excited, but uh, it was great to be here, so thanks a lot. <laughs> Cheers, mate. We wave goodbye and uh, thank you to Matthew Addison for uh, sharing that with us, uh, that, that important information with us. Uh, but important information continues to roll on in the world of bookkeepers. It never stops. And I'm going to introduce in right now uh, a uh, regular on the ICB News Channel podcast, our newsletter editor, Simone Emmett. So I nearly got your name wrong there, Simone. How are you? <laughs> Oh, good, Rob. How are you? You're pretty average if uh, after all this time I got your name wrong, so you can call me whatever you like. But uh... <laughs> I will, I'll think of something good for next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world of news and uh, the world of news for bookkeepers just never seems to stop, does it? And you, you just have to be across it all the time. How do you do it? I want to know how, how do you keep across the news that just keeps going and going and going? Lots of research, lots of paying attention to um, social media, all different news outlets. It's it's never ending. And this month has been a particularly challenging month because there's a lot of new things that have come out that we've just got to explain to our members. Yeah, yeah. It's... It- it is a never-ending cycle and that's why we've introduced this podcast along with the, the newsletter and our news items that people can find at www.icb.org.au. Um, whether you are a bookkeeper in practice or whether you're a bookkeeper in employment, you just got to keep on top of it, don't you? It's sometimes all-consuming and exhausting, but we're trying our very best to make that easier for you through this podcast. So let's get stuck into a few of the things that... Uh, need covering off on as we move through the March 2023 newsletter and uh, all the um, information flowing through into April. Paid parental leave. Um, we, We probably many are across the current status of paid parental leave and I might get you to explain that. And then there are a number of changes coming very soon. So I'll hand over to you. Yes, Rob, there's been some significant changes in paid parental leave. Um, So from the 1st of July 2023, which is quite soon, paid parental leave, dad and partner pay are combining into one payment. Right. So the system will be, it'll be increased from 18 weeks to 26 weeks over the course of the next four years with the change um, coming into fruition by 2026. Um, This will also affect um, those whose child is born or adopted from the 1st of July 2023, so very soon. So from what it currently is, is as an employer, it's important to prepare for the new scheme to ensure compliance with the law and support your employers in the parenting journey. Um, two payments currently, parental leave pay, which is for the primary carer, eligible to employers for up to 18 weeks and paid at the national minimum wage, which currently, as of the 1st of July, is $812.45 a week. The second part of this is dad and partner pay, which currently is for eligible to working dads or partners, including adopting parents and same-sex couples, with up to two weeks of government-funded pay, also based on the national minimum wage. So the big change that's coming is now Paid parental leave, dad and partner pay will be combined into a single 20-week payment. This is interesting. So it's an increase from from 90 days to 100 days, which right. is quite significant for families. Who it, It's quite a huge a huge thing to take on a young child. Mm. Um, speaking from experience, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so the other changes that will include this is the um, introduction of gender-neutral gender claiming. So either parent have access to the claim right. and parents are able to take weeks of parent parental leave pay at the same time, Yeah, which right. is very helpful. So yes. parents will be able to take it in also in blocks mm-hmm. as small as one day with periods of work in between, but they do have to finish it all within two years from date of birth or adoption. Right, okay. So it's quite a significant change and it does mean a change also um, – to, to employers and, and how they implement that. 
Yes. So from a, a bookkeeper's perspective, again, as we always do and find, the bookkeeper has to probably lead the way here, helping employers work their way through this. How, um, how can a bookkeeper help an employer prepare for parental leave pay? Um, first things first is helping explain the legislation, yep. um, which will be a big thing. And, and obviously, as part of ICB members, this will form part of our e-brief. Yep. so that we've got some, some information for members to pass on. Accurate record keeping is a must yeah. For, yeah. for a bookkeeper to help employers keep on top of the paid parental leave payments and maintain the records of length of service and work requirements. Yep. Payroll processing is another one. Having done many um, maternity leave payments in the past, it's something yes. that you've really got to be on top of. Yep. Um, and reporting. So they're required to report paid parental leave payments to the ATO and a bookkeeper can help with this by ensuring employers comply with the law. Yeah. So yep. I think overall employers can really benefit from working with a bookkeeper to ensure they comply with this new new scheme and support their, their employers on their parenting journey. Yeah, and it is a journey, you're right. It's, it's one that um, has a few people still scratching their head to a degree. Um, so I guess the next question is how is parental pay uh, sorry I, I'll get that get this right eventually how is paid parental leave paid yeah, that's an interesting way to put it in a sentence um, the usual way that it is paid is is via government so mm -hmm. the best the, way, the best thing that, that a, an employer or a bookkeeper can do is access the product and re register yep. for PRODA, and ICB has a fantastic resource that yes. has been created by the lovely Erica mm -hmm. on, um, on PRODA, so it's very helpful. And getting all those systems up and then the pay, the pay system comes from the government to the employer or the, and in circumstances that can also be paid to the employee, um, but it's best for the government to get, jump onto PRODA and get all that registered. Yep. Okay. And obviously, if uh, people need more information... Go to icb.org.au and check out our news item around this, but also, again, for our members and our non-members, who we have a non-member uh, newsletter, we keep calling that out as well, but especially for our members, pages 7 and 8 in the March newsletter uh, gives a, a great summation along with some links, some impo important references and links around um, paid parental leave. So uh, make sure you're aware because it's happening and some of those laws and changes are coming into play very soon in the next few months. And uh, again, we always need to be across them, don't we, Simone? So thanks for that summation. Let's talk about something we've just recently come off our um, ICB annual bookkeepers summit around Australia and lots and lots of conversation at various uh, centres around Australia about going digital and the whole concept of digitalisation happening in our space, in the bookkeeping space, again, whether that's in employment or whether that's in practice. Um, there's some real key call-outs about uh, going digital and we, we've put an article together around how to prepare to go digital and some ATO tips along the way. Do you want to sort of summarise those for us, Simone? Yes, certainly, Rob. Um the ATO have prepared an article on, on tips to, to prepare to go digital and they have a, a five-point checklist, which was I found very useful. So first one is register for online services. This allows you to access all your tax and super services in one place. Second one is try the ATO app. The ATO app is a simple, easy way that you can access and manage your tax and super on the go. It's free to download and it's easy to use. Um, the third one, which is probably a big one, is make payments electronically. There are ways to make payments to the ATO, BPAY, debit, credit cards, through their online services and government easy pay system so that you can guarantee there's a safety within that transaction. Next one is find out about software solutions. E-invoicing is going to be getting bigger and bigger over mm -hmm. the next couple of months um, and the benefits also of single-touch payroll, which we all know mm -hmm. is pretty much in play at the moment. This helps businesses on their digital journey and um, really helps them to manage their business on a real-time scale, which is great. And the big, another big one for me is security. So 
not just us, but the ATO takes security very seriously. Um, privacy and personal information um, are, are absolutely important and they have systems in place to make sure data and online transactions are secure and safe. So taking your business digital can, um, can increase their risk of scams and security threats, but if you have all the checks and balances in place within your own business, you should be safe. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I've done a few sort of straw polls, you might say, with employers around the district in which I live. The the first one, just registering for the ATO online services for business seems to be be the first hurdle to get over. Um, and as bookkeepers, we should be encouraging our business owners to do that as soon as possible. The move to digitalisation is happening probably a lot quicker than what a lot of people expected it would do. And um, those three little tips there, sorry, those five tips that you've just given, uh, we hope that uh, certainly our bookkeeping community will take on board and work with business owners to to get some implementation happening. And of course, um, also at the same time, being cognizant enough to know that security is really important, as you said, it's tip five there, and uh, to make sure there's measures in place as the ATO have done. Um, probably from the perspective of the ICB, um, Simone, uh, putting that into a nutshell, what, what does that really mean? You know, from, I know we've uh, certainly positioned all of this. It's, it's a little bit, um, what you would you call, uh, perplexing for some people, or a little bit divisive, um, you know, being asked to do something like digitalisation. What's our, uh, what's our take on it? I think it's very important for bookkeepers to lead by example yeah. in this instance. Um, training yourself, your staff on how to use digital tools effectively, develop a digital strategy that aligns with your business goals, implement yeah. all these tools within in your own practice and review them, adjust them as needed. And by implementing and monitoring these, you have first-hand knowledge to support your clients. Um, you can really hold their hand through the path of digitisation, which is fantastic for you and yeah. also fantastic for the client because they're getting the, the benefits of your knowledge. Um, just as a thing, our newsletter article gives some great tips on how yes. to do this. So please yep. go to the newsletter article for some just practical tips. Um, your expertise and guidance is a valuable asset to your clients and make sure you pass that on. Yeah. Yeah, look, and as I've said before, I, I think um, I think it is a little bit perplexing for some as to why this move is happening so fast and, and some are challenged by that. We acknowledge that. So the, the bookkeeper taking leadership doesn't mean you have to, you know, literally jam it down somebody's throat, but you need to start introducing these conversations on a regular basis with your clients and chip away. And uh, in my experience, uh, once... Uh, once a client does get hold of an understanding around what this actually means and what they have to implement and how they implement it, quite often within a short time, they're away to the races and everything is good. So let's... Not um, as daunting as it seems, yes. No, that's right. Yes, correct. Yeah, so it's like anything, anything new is a, is a challenge. We acknowledge that, so... Let's, uh, let's continue on uh, having a look at certain aspects of the newsletter and uh, the news that's happening in the bookkeeping world. And I'm going to just reference uh, page 37 in the member newsletter, which refers to uh, a strong message coming out from the ATO around failures to lodge TPAR, so Taxable Payments Annual Reporting, TPAR. TPAR has been in our in our space, I guess, if you want to call it that, for quite a few years. I actually didn't uh, research how many years, but my uh, my head's saying at least six or seven years, maybe even more. Uh, TPAR has been on the on the uh, uh, more than on the horizon. It's been in our space, as I said. TPAR affects at this stage still uh, only a number of services or organisations that are required to file reports. And uh, those um, industries are listed on page 37, cleaning services, building and construction services, road freight, courier services, information technology services and security investigation or surveillance services. Now, my experience, Simone, is even within those listed um, organisations or listed industry-specific um, areas, 
there's probably some things that you wouldn't have normally have thought would qualify under those terms, but uh, we have a great reference, uh, uh, sorry, a great resource, uh, the ICB does, on taxable payments reporting system that explains and goes a little bit deeper as to what actual businesses or organisations come under those those headings. And we'd encourage everybody to go and have a look at those if you're not sure. The developing bit, the bit that is changing is that in my experience, um, certainly helping a lot of clients with TPAR over the years is that uh, a little bit of tardiness about reporting and when it's been reported and the timeliness of reporting has kind of been accepted um, reluctantly, I would think, by the ATO for quite a while now. And now they're just simply drawing a line in the sand. And they're basically saying, from now on in, um, penalties will apply for, 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 for late lodgement. But more importantly, they're still weeding through a lot of businesses who come under those qualifying headings that I read before, cleaning services, road freight, etc., who just simply haven't recognised that they've had to report at all over a long period of time in some instances. So there's a, a few little deadlines. From the 22nd of March 2023, the ATO will apply failure to lodge penalties to those who did not lodge their 2022 or prior TPAR or and have been sent three non-lodgement letters ab ab about their overdue TPAR. So... It's a call out from us in the newsletter to be aware of this drawing of a line in the sand by the ATO and we'd really encourage bookkeepers to, um, you know, acknowledge if they've got some clients who they know have overdue TPARs to lodge them as soon as they possibly can and um, we'd really encourage our bookkeeping community, again, employed or in practice, to make sure that they are across the requirements of TPAR moving forward. And that includes the fact that uh, TPAR is due on the, by the 28th of August each year. And as I said before, probably the changing uh, element in all of this is the ATO's I guess you could say the, the, the honeymoon is over, Simone, uh, from their point of view, and penalties will start to apply more regularly for late or non-lodgement. So let's be aware of that, I guess, as the, uh, as the phone rings in the background for those who might be able to hear it, as happens on a live podcast. So, <laughs> Simone, let's move, to, um, let's move to the next topic we want to dive into, and that is around scams and how to spot the scam signs that uh, seem to be appearing more and more out there in the on the horizon and in our world. Yes, Rob, this is definitely a recurring theme, um, which it will continue to be in the spotlight. Um, um, there's a growing number of scams targeting trusted, you know, they're, they're impersonating target um, figures and organisations and using a range of tactics and technologies to get Australians to give across their personal details. They go at great lengths to impersonate the ATO, which is a very serious problem. Um, their aim to trick people and they're looking for your money, your personal details. So there's the ATO put out quite an extensive list of the things that they will not ask you. Yeah. So I'm just going to give you a couple of key ones. Yes. It's just to, for people to be aware and um, calls to the from the ATO do not show a number. They will always show up as yeah. no caller ID. So yeah. that's a big one. Um, they will never demand you stay on the line until a payment's made. They will never request a payment of a debt through anything like iTunes, Google Play, um, any sort of gift card. They'll never request that. That's, yep. that's, not, that's not the way they operate. And they also may use SMS or email like to contact you, but they'll never send unsolicited messages asking you to return personal information. Yep. They'll never send anything like that to ask you to log into online services. Um, they're quite clear about that. If you if you are unsure if the ATO is contacting you, phone them on one eight hundred oh oh eight five four zero to check. And there is a section within the ATO um, website on scams, which will also be in the newsletter. I've got a direct link to that as well. And sadly, we're seeing more and more stories of people being scammed under the the premise of of thinking they're dealing with the ATO. I saw a. Uh, a news item recently on on the uh, on the media on the media on TV where somebody had um, 
been uh, told they were going to receive a large refund from the ATO but were asked to pay a fee before receiving that refund and and that's another one we've put in the list here that's clearly not on on the agenda of the ATO to do. They're never going to ask you for a fee to receive a refund. But sadly, um, these... Um, well, I don't know what term we're allowed to use on a on a um, podcast. Dirt bags is that fair enough? Or, that seems uh, appropriate. Yeah, yeah, seems appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> these dirt bags uh, will try anything to get your get your money. So anything that appears that just doesn't even slightly feel right or seems too good to be true or whatever, the ATO is saying, don't do anything. Call that number that you mentioned before, or at minimum, go back and have a look before you do anything, sign up on anything, pay anything, go and have a look at the list that we have um, in our newsletter that calls out all the different things or in the news items that we have on our website, um, the long list of things that the ATO will never ask for. And uh, hopefully that may, Simone, mitigate some of our uh, members and their their, um, employees and bookkeepers and business owners, all the people that we're uh, reaching hopefully on this podcast, somebody somewhere will be saved some grief, I guess you could say. And uh, I think that's a really good article that we've put together there for people to be aware of. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, so no, keep going. You're poised. I am. Uh, the one thing actually that was drawn to my attention this week, um, I think it was through a member call, was business email compromise, yep. which is also a very big problem. Yep. Yep. Um, it's an invoice scam where business or individual receives an emailed invoice from a supplier whose email account has been compromised by a criminal. The criminal has been able to alter the payment details on the invoice on the account they control and the invoice will look legitimate and the recipient may not question the payment details and send the payment, send the payment to the account controlled by the criminal. Um, it, it's very common. Um, once access has been gained, attackers can be incredibly patient in monitoring ongoing email correspondence and often waiting several, several months for the right opportunity to strike. Yeah, yeah. The best thing to do is if you see an see an invoice come through and, and the, the account details have changed, always call the supplier to confirm the correct account details before transferring large sums of money. It catches so many people out. Um, and if you have been victim to this email compromise, contact um, contact the Cyber Security Centre, yep. report it to the ATO, report it to your bank. Unfortunately, it's probably not worth reporting it to the software at this stage because it isn't their compromise. It's actually the email compromise. Yeah, yeah. So, no, some really, really, really important points there and I'm glad that we've been able to capture those for for the members and for the non-members listening in today and for business owners. There is, sadly, uh, a world now where we need to be just across so many different aspects of scams and uh, the ability for these, let's use the word again, dirtbags, uh, <laughs> scumbags. We, we might even go a bit higher than that. We'll go to scumbags. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunately increasing by the day. So that awareness, we will continue to bring those sort of awareness pieces through our news items and through the newsletter. But we're going to wind up this um, part of um, this discussion and uh, the emphasis on what is happening around us in the world of um, business when it comes to bookkeeping. And that is that, unbelievably, Simone, the next big event we've got coming, and it's coming sooner rather than later, is the end of year, um, which is clearly one of the huge moments uh, for all bookkeepers and businesses here in Australia, the 30th of June, that uh, ominous date. So in our newsletter on page six, and we're advertising this on our website, icb.org.au, we have dates out for our end of financial year seminars um, for 2023. And uh, we'd encourage especially our membership to make sure that they're across the the dates and get themselves registered. So we'll be rolling um, that across two days, Thursday the 1st of June and Friday the 2nd of June 2023. And we'll be making sure that we cover off, as we do every year, 
all the important aspects of what you need to be doing and putting a focus on for end of year. Now, we like to do this at least a month out so that those who join us in that seminar, um, in those seminars or on those days, will still have some time to, to implement some of the things that they will learn in that um, workshop and the, in that seminar to be able to implement it, obviously, be, before or prior to the 30th of June. Um, we run it across two days for a reason, and that is to give a little bit of flexibility. On the first day uh, of the 1st of June, you'll be able to do a session that will effectively be the first half of the complete session. And then on the second day, we repeat that again so that uh, bookkeepers have the option to say, well, I'll do, do, the, uh, do the seminar across two days if that's more convenient, if you've got client needs on both those days. But you also have the ability to say, no, I'll knock it off in one day by sitting through the whole of the second day if you choose to. So a couple of options there. We're still um, putting together... Uh, the content, but the content, yeah, I call it out every year, Simone, end of year is end of year. It, it doesn't change. The processes for bookkeepers have been the same for a, a very long time now when it comes to end of year. What we provide is that opportunity to, to acknowledge that we only tend to do some of these things once a year and it's the ability for those who attend the seminar to be refreshed, to be reminded and to be a little bit uh, motivated, I guess, to say, right, we've got to put our head down and and just get this stuff done. So 1st and 2nd of June, end of financial year um, seminars brought to you by ICB. We're looking forward to it already and stay tuned as you put in the newsletter for more information as it comes out. Yes, so well, Simone, be lots more to come. yeah, there is there is plenty plenty of more information to come, but uh, we wanted to just make sure we got those dates out there, and you'll be able to start registering for that very soon. So Simone, we might um, bring this to an end again. Thank you. You are the uh, the the source of all knowledge. Um, as I said at the start of this uh, little section, you you amaze me how you uh, keep across all of this information and. Uh, uh, we're very thankful as uh, bookkeepers here in Australia for the fact that uh, you're on it and we can uh, bring it to our members and to all those tuning in today on the ICB News Channel. So thanks again, Simone, for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's my pleasure. I absolutely love making sure all the members get all the knowledge that they need to to do their job. It makes me very happy. Uh, I'm certain it does. It certainly makes me happy that you do that too. So uh, thank you again, and we look forward to uh, everybody joining us on the next episode of the ICB News Channel. Thanks. Thanks.